Hello, this is Chucky, and you're listening to Chucky Radio. Now, Chucky Radio typically is just me telling stories. I love to travel, so a lot of my stories relate around travel. I love to travel with friends, so I'll have them come on and tell stories with me. But today, today is a more personal story. Today, I'm going to talk about the fact that I recently realized I am a person of color. Welcome to Chucky Radio. You know, it's funny. Sometimes you just don't realize things. I mean, essentially, and I know this isn't a PC term, but I was essentially colorblind of my own color. (laughs) And, you know, that term got really criticized because I remember during the last presidential race, uh, Howard Schultz, the founder of Starbucks, had said something about being colorblind. Like, he thought that was a good thing. And the reality is, is, yeah, colorblind's not a good thing. I mean, we need to see color. We need to embrace the different cultures. We need to see the heritage of the people of color in this country. And so this all kind of came up for me not too long ago. I was actually having a discussion with an executive producer for documentary films. And this EP, we call them, essentially was talking about like how we need to have a couple elements in order to be able to sell our documentary. And they were talking about this from a standpoint of having a lot of experience. In fact, they have deals on projects right now with Netflix and HBO, and they're working with a major agent in LA. And so they were being, you know, helpful. They were essentially, I had the opportunity to tell them about our documentary, Picasso's Christ, and where we're at with it. And they said, so Charles, you need to have two elements And these two individuals have to be above the line. So above the line meaning producer level, management level in the film. And those two elements are you need to have a woman and you need to have a person of color. And so immediately I thought, okay, we have a woman. One of our producers, Amy Soto, obviously she's a woman. In fact, I think she even has some origins, I want to say Hispanic. And so... Got that check mark, you know, and I don't like to think of it that way, but the reality is that's essentially what this EP was explaining to me. And then I'm like, man, we got to figure out to get a person of color and where they're coming from. And I get it. And I, I really like the way this EP explained it. Basically, they said in today's society here in America, given all that's happened recently, the major studios, Netflix, HBO, Lionsgate. They're basically saying, look, we just want you to make the minimum effort. You guys need to have at least these two underrepresented groups in the industry as part of your management team. And that to us proves that at least you guys made the effort to be inclusive. Just have one woman, have one person of color. And that, I thought, okay, that makes sense. And so, you know, 
I kind of went on and I spoke with my director and I spoke with our our executive producer and we're like, okay, we'll have to figure this out as far as getting a person of color. <laughs> At one point, I have a conversation with my sister and my sister, just wonderful, beautiful person. I mean, my sister and I have really gotten closer over the last few years, last you know, couple of decades as we're older and more mature. And I love to bounce ideas off of her. I mean, she's very intelligent. She has like three masters. She just got her doctorate. She does a lot of work for Harvard Business Review. And so I kind of ran this by her. It's like, yeah, you know, talking to CP in this situation. And she's like, Charles, you are a person of color. And I'm like, what? Wait a second. I mean, that's not what they're talking about. I mean, I know we're Hispanic, but aren't we white? And she's like, Charles, both of our parents, born and raised in Colombia, South America, they immigrated to the U.S. We are the children of immigrants. While we were born and raised here in the U.S., I grew up in Texas, and I had to deal with racism my whole life. I had to deal with racist attitudes. You know, I guess you just don't think about those things. I mean, for me, my father came to the U.S. to do his residency. You know, he got his medical degree down in Columbia and then came to specialize in the U.S. And we ended up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area because he ended up doing his residency in neurosurgery in Dallas and then became the first neurosurgeon of Arlington. I guess, you know, from a socioeconomic standpoint, I've always felt like I'm okay, but the reality was is, yeah, when I was growing up being a brown kid in a public school, I was called a wetback. You know, immediately I was associated with being an illegal immigrant, and it was hurtful. It was painful, and I look back now, and I realize even to this day, I've been fortunate. I've for the most part, own my own businesses, but my first big job out of college was I was a stockbroker, worked for Merrill Lynch. Then after that, I had my own businesses for a while, and then I ended up most recently in the last 15 years, I have spent some time working with some different manufacturers that do security products, commercial security products. And so I look back and I'm like, thinking back, I'm like, oh man, Everybody I've ever worked for was a white male. <laughs> Every boss I've had was a typical white male. And their bosses were white males and all the way up the chain. And what's interesting is I kind of put this in perspective. I realize, yeah, I mean, I'm a minority. I don't have the power that a white male in the U.S. has. And I've never had a big issue with it because I've always kind of been able to earn respect with most people. And so I just haven't thought about it. But the reality is, is I have dealt with it my whole life. And I've recently had to deal with it with my day job right now. But one of the real indications that I don't really talk about with my friends, and most of them know I did this, but I don't think they really understand the motivation behind doing this, is I was actually born Carlos Acosta. So my birth certificate is Carlos Acosta. And actually, I'm the third. My father was Carlos. My grandfather was Carlos. And at one point, and this actually, I know exactly 
what was the tipping point because I've always kind of thought like, hey, I was born in the U.S., raised here, and I just never felt Latino. You know, I always had total American, normal white friends. I mean, I say normal. That's stupid. I mean, I had my friends were 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 white. You know, I mean, I remember my best friend from elementary school, my friends in high school. I don't think I ever even had a Latino friend growing up. And this is Arlington, Texas. You know, this is, I mean, you know, forgive me, Arlington, but you guys, I'm sorry. <laughs> you're, you're the armpit of the Metroplex. I mean, it's just, and, and I shouldn't say that. I mean, you know, it's a blue collar town. There's a GM plant on one side. There was a general dynamics plant on the other. You know, it's home of... Texas Rangers, and, you know, now the Dallas Cowboys Stadium is there, Jerry's house, and it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not Austin where I live now. I mean, Austin is a mecca of open thinking, and Austin, you know, is technology and growth, and Austin was always artists in the past and musicians, and I've always been gravitated towards Austin. I love Texas. I grew up here. This is home for me. And I did end up going to college out in California, which, I don't know, it wasn't a lot different being in Southern California, to be honest. Only thing different for me in Southern California is it wasn't home. It was different. It was was not where my roots were, not where my, my, my network was. And so, you know, after I finished college, I ended up coming back to Texas. So where I'm going with this is ultimately there was a moment where I decided I want to go by the English version of my name. I mean, the history books even show the King of Spain as King Charles in our history books. The reality is that he was King Carlos in Spain. So to me, Charles was just the literal English translation of Carlos. And it made sense. Like, I, I, it just, I kind of made that decision. It's like, that makes sense to me. And I thought about it and didn't really do it for a little while, and then an incident happened that was like, now I realize I do need to make this change. And what had happened is when I first moved to California, my dad and I kind of decided, hey, you're on your own. I hadn't finished college yet. It's like, hey, you made a decision to move out there. You kind of wasted time in school here in Texas. And I'm like, I was fine with it. And I get out to California and you know, figure out I got to bust my ass to save some money to go back to school because I was determined to, to finish school. And I had gotten three jobs. I was working in restaurants at night. And then during the day, I was working at this office supply business in San Diego. And it was interesting. I got hired to work in a warehouse and I'm very organized. And so they loved me. I was in there. I totally organized the place, got everything in working order. And so one day I remember I was kind of coming out of the warehouse, going to the restroom. Since the place was on a hill, the warehouse was a little bit below. There were stairs that would go up to where the office supply store was. And the owner was sitting out in kind of the back patio where I could hear him talking to one of the customers. It was like an older lady. I heard him say, yeah, we have a new warehouse guy. He's doing a great job. His name is Carlos Acosta. And immediately the lady responds, Oh, you got yourself a nice little Mexican boy. And I heard that and I just like, oh my God, that's it. I'm never going to be perceived as a 
neutral white person, I guess, having the name Carlos. And so that was a tipping point I needed to say, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to legally change my name. So I legally changed my name from Carlos Acosta to Charles Acosta. And I kept everything else. Charles Acosta III. And if I'm in Latin America, they use all the, you know, main names, surnames, all that. I'm, you know, officially in Latin America. I'm Carlos Acosta III Rivero Garcia Martinez. All right. Use that name and don't think that someone's going to say, oh my God, you are as Latino as they come, right? So that epitomized like the reality that I knew I've been a person of color and I've, I've had to overcome that discrimination, those racist views. And so I went on and got my job at Merrill Lynch, trained in New York, Went on, started a medical testing business, sold that, got in the film business, lost the money in the medical testing business and the film business. And then ultimately, I am now doing a mixture of working with manufacturers of commercial security products and doing this podcast, producing an independent film, this amazing documentary, doing a little live streaming. You know, all these are you know, kind of creative outlets. And this last week is when it really hit again and has brought me to do this episode talking about the realization that I'm a person of color is I had to deal with a customer. It was one of those situations where it started to get a little bit of a tense conversation because they expected that they should have access via a cell phone to this inside account manager and I left it at I would I would look into it you know let's move on moved on and then one of the guys kind of made some comments that just epitomized to me the way they view me and my origins and it was subtle but it was the kind of statement where you step back and you go, okay, that wasn't right. And you kind of say something like, and the statement basically was, all people from South America is the same. And I'm not giving you all the context, but ultimately that was the attitude. And I'm like, no, my family's from Colombia, very different from the other countries in South America. It's like saying, oh, you know, if I'm from South America and I'm, we're talking about an American, I'm like, and I confuse it with a Canadian. I'm like, oh, you know, all North Americans are the same. No, Canadians and Americans are very different. You know what I mean? And so it was just that lack of respect. And I guess it triggers something for me because just like growing up, I was referred to as a Mexican because that was the derogatory term that was used because Mexicans in Texas were typically, you know, people who cross the border illegally, or even if they cross legally, you know, they were the laborers, they were, you know, lower socioeconomic. So it just triggers something with me because there's just a lack of respect there. And it just reminded me of there's so much work to be done in this country to just recognize that we all come from different origins, you know? 
And me being a person of color, me coming from an immigrant family, that I've always had to deal with that viewpoint, especially growing up in the South. And I have a little bit darker skin. I'm fortunate I have clear eyes, you know, so it's funny. I even brought this up to friends just recently, and it almost took them by surprise when I told them the story because I like mentioned that, you know, we had to deal, I had to deal this week with situation and some, you know, racially motivated type comments or racially inappropriate comments made. And they are like, oh, wow, that sucks. And like, yeah, it was directed towards me. And they're like, what, you? <laughs> it's like, wait a second. What, what do you mean it was directed at you? And I'm like, I'm a person of color. I've got brown skin, you know, I'm first generation. I mean, and I had to explain that to a couple of friends. And it's just like, and then when I told them about the things I've just talked about here, they're like, you've never brought this stuff up before. And I'm like, yeah, I guess it's just something that you don't really want to talk about. I mean, why give it power? Why give it any importance that I had to deal with that as a kid? You know, if I keep that in the forefront of my mind, it's I'm just giving it power. So I have moved beyond it. But when things come up, like what came up last week, and when a conversation comes up like it did a little over a month ago with this EP, it brings it to surface and it brings it to light. And you kind of realize like, holy cow, you know, I am a person of color. And at the end of the day, I mean, I am blessed. I am fortunate. I have amazing friends. I have had ability to work and do the things I've wanted to do but I still end up having to deal with systemic racism. And I still look around me and I see 30% of our population are non-Hispanic white men. And every position of power I've ever seen around me has been white men. So where is the representation? You know? And I think that's what's happened. I think that's why things have gotten to the point they have in the last year. Because we're not going to tolerate it anymore. And we're going to speak up. And when a police officer, a person of power, especially a white police officer, puts his knee on someone's neck, that's pleading for their life for over eight minutes and causes him to die. There just should be no tolerance for that. I don't care anything about who the person was. And it really pisses me off when I hear people start trying to justify it, like talking about their that person's past. No. No. People of power do not have the right to 
execute other people because they want to. And that was a tipping point this last year, obviously. And um, I hope, I hope we make more progress. And <laughs> when I, uh, I filed the complaint about this situation with my customer, my sister was like, I'm proud of you. <laughs> That felt good. Do my little part. Anyway, this is Chucky. Thanks for listening. Peace out. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chucky Radio. If you enjoyed this episode and are listening to it on one of the major podcast services, I'd really appreciate it if you went and rated this podcast. Chucky Radio Podcast is available on most major podcast services, from Apple Podcasts to Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, and many others. Music in the intro and outro by Joseph McDade. Thank you for listening, and peace out.